As a small business owner, your to-do list is long. The Knot makes advertising easy and connects you with the right couples at the right time. Visit vendors.thenot.com slash podcast for 15% off your first month with code podcast15. You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on sportsradiodetroit.com. I'm Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown. As we sit in on a Wednesday, normally we do this on a Thursday, but a couple things are going to change on that front. Not that much. I mean, every once in a while we'll do it on Wednesday, but my trivia team wants to do games on Thursday, and I'm just, no, it's my routine. I do it on, I do it on Wednesday, or I do Tigers on Thursday, and in this case, it's just work-related, so. So, yeah, we record on a Wednesday night as the Tigers take on the Cubs in a two-game series. Last night, they won 2-1 behind six strong innings from Jordan Zimmerman and a really a home run that was by uh, Anthony Rizzo. The home run by the, the Cubs, the only run they scored was a softball-like swing as he fell, fell over the plate. So, uh, what were you going to say, Chris? Oh, just yeah, you know, they were saying on the TV they'd never seen that before, where he yeah, he swung swung and then went down to his knee and then he actually fell over, uh, which was kind of funny. But I you know I've seen Beltre do that where you swing and hit a home run and, and go down to his knee, but I, I don't recall anybody falling over, <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Yeah, it, it was it was quite it was quite the entertainment for a uh, you know looking for highlights whatever you can for the Tigers and coming up tonight we're gonna be talking, of course the. Tigers last few weeks, Jacoby Jones, congratulations to him winning the Heart and Hustle Award. His defense has been very good. And, you know, I thought that'd be kind of worth mentioning too. And then you see that picture of him and Al Camelot. That was one of, that was a really good picture. Uh in we'll go into inside the numbers a little bit, kind of talk about a former Tiger, and we'll look at the strength of schedule left in the playoff race and a couple other things as well. We'll get to and uh the good and bad ugly tonight is a it's an interesting affair. So let's start with really what the Tigers have been up to the last couple of weeks. There is talk that I think it was I think it was Lynn Henning that reported it. I'm not sure where the source was, but I saw that Christian Stewart. I think it was um front of the show. Uh, Tiger Lee's minor tracker. By the way, uh, Keenan, who by the way posted our uh, Twitter handles on there. Well, he posted yours, then I, I commented, "Hey, what about me?" You know, as a friendly, "Hey, come on," and. uh he posted where to find our podcast. So, Keenan, as always, thank you for always plugging us. Really appreciate it. And I think it was him that reported that Christian Stewart's going to get called up with a forty-man roster gets expanded. Did you see that, Chris? I saw. Yeah, I saw Hen- uh, Henning mention it. Yeah. I don't know where. Uh, like you, I don't know if he was the first one to report it. Uh, but yeah, I was. I was a little bit surprised by that. But are you surprised uh, because in terms of where the position-wise, or just? Um, I guess a couple, a couple of the, a couple of things surprised me about it. Uh, that and I guess we'll talk about this later. Toledo isn't technically out of the playoff race down there in in AAA. Uh, not, I don't know. You know that shouldn't really matter that much. But you know, I, I don't know what's different about Stewart right now that it wasn't there. I don't know, a couple, a couple months ago, really. Uh, I guess just you know adding him to the forty man because they're going to do it in November or December anyway, and might as well get him up for a couple couple games. But yeah, I don't know. It, it made some sense to me, but I didn't think uh, I didn't really expect it. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't know. Like I said, I, I you with Toledo in the in the playoff race. Yeah, that in that aspect, I didn't see that coming. But at the same time, I am glad he's getting some at bats here, and the Tigers can see what they were going to get in there. So I mean, it's uh, really. I don't know it's kind of exciting for me in a sense that it, we get to see finally, possibly, probably more likely DH next year. If Victor Martinez is going to retire, they're going to kind of swing this out a little bit. You know, DH tryouts perhaps. We'll see. But uh, I, I don't know. Do you think it's DH tryouts? Is that kind of an extreme way to say it? I, I would expect that he will split time at DH. I think they'll play him in left field mostly. Just because you know he'll probably get some time at DH, uh, I think they'll probably want to DH Cabrera quite a lot, and then you know we might see John Hicks DH. I, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see. Maybe they will just throw him right in the DH and say, you know what, let's just do it. But uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to want to play him in left field. It they, it makes sense to just keep trying him out there until it's just definitive that he's going to be brutal. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he'd be light years worse than Castellanos is this year, for example. So, if they're going to do it with him, might as well do it with Stewart. No, and that's a good point. I mean, you you got to have your two corner or your two corner outfielders kind of a defensive liability. It just depends what they're going to do in center. I mean, if Jacoby Jones is going to be your regular center fielder, or possibly Daz Cameron come twenty nineteen, I don't, Chris. I mean, it, it, what I find interesting too is if they end up doing Stewart or putting Stewart in left. Castellanos and right, are they just basically saying, hey, guys, look, defensively, we're just going to be this huge liability. We're cool with it. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think ideally they wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there was this, some discussion earlier in the year about Castellanos, you know, getting some time at first base, too. It's 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 a strange problem they have now where they have like seven outfielders that in none of them look like regulars really I mean, other than Castellanos I guess and he's not uh, he might be the worst defensively of all of them but you know they're they'll they'll be able to put right uh, Reyes back down in triple a or double a wherever they want to put him next year for the whole season but they'll still have Matuk on the roster I think Aducey will be gone you got Matuk Jones Castellanos Stewart uh, Gerber although Gerber has not really shown anything so far so it, it, I don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see the way it plays out next year but it's also you know and what's also going to play out too so far this season it's that plot of michael former michael former comes back on friday and we had a discussion last week a little bit last week wasn't a normal typical formatted show but last week talked about the possibility of former getting moved in the offseason for some some possible death but still that was kind of like a light discussion and 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 we revisit that for just a second because, Chris, I mean, you look at the pitching market right now, the way it's been, you didn't see a lot of starter, like in terms of just, uh, I guess, not a lot of prospects given up for starters. And they were talking, we were talking a little bit off air about the market for pitching and, and the premium that it is, but still not a lot of teams are going to give up much. And I still think that, I mean, there's been two schools of thought, whether you keep them or trade them. And, you know, I don't know if you, if, is this really kind of a trial for, or excuse me, a uh, a tryout for him to see what other teams are about, or do you think the Tigers going to keep him long term? You know, I, I think there might be a small part of him coming back. A small part of him might might be that, might be showcasing him a little bit. 
I think it's probably more just getting him back to feeling right and pitching, and so he can have a good feeling heading into the offseason and then into next year. You know, if he comes out and his, his lights out, then maybe you, you, it's a it's a win win. I still think I don't think they'll trade him in the offseason. I think they will wait. If they do trade him, I think they'll wait until midseason next year, or maybe keep him for another year or two. I, it, it's it's tough to say. I've said before, I think they probably should trade him because he's valuable. But uh, I'm actually working on a, a little project right now, trying to find the next competitive window based on the players that are currently on the roster who the Tigers have control of and all their prospects. And Ooh, I'm trying I like to that. do it via, you know, with with war and all sorts of, you know, projections and stuff like that. It's going to be kind of complicated, but I'm, I'm curious to see. Basically, what my hope is, is to come up and say, okay, if the Tigers keep this, these players intact, you know, by 2021, they may be able to have a contender if they, you know, get this many wins from free agency or uh, the opposite. I'll be able to say, even if they keep these guys that they just, they, they won't be able to do it logistically. So that's, uh, it's going to involve a whole lot of speculation and projection and stuff, but that's, um, I'll, hopefully I'll have it done next week and I'll be able to share the results. I'm looking forward to it. It's not going to be irresponsible speculation. So that's a, uh, no, it's going to be, uh, be responsible. It will be, it will be, it's always irresponsible speculation with me, but with a sheen, of research that makes people go, well, it checks out. I like the way you, without, you I like the way you use peer review. <laughs> I like the way you said Sheen and remind me of American Psycho for whatever reason. The sheer confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Whitney Houston had four yeah. number one singles? <laughs> um, yeah. So the other uh, thing I wanted to get to with the Tigers, and it's actually pretty cool because I, I did watch a little league uh, classic between the Mets and the Phillies the other day. Uh, I believe it was, it was Sunday Night Baseball. I watched a little bit of that. The Tigers are going to be part of their own little series, and as a new as a new Geico Summer Series, and that's going to take place at the TD America Trade Park in Omaha. It's two days prior to the baseball post or the uh, College World Series. So bad joke here. The closest the Tigers will get to World Series in a while. <laughs> um, but all jokes aside, they're going to play in Omaha, Nebraska on June 13th. So that is pretty cool. And that's also the home of the AAA affiliate of the Storm of the Omaha Storm Chasers and uh, Creatine, which the Tigers have been, you know, Tigers. is that the Royals? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. Create is it Creatine or Creatine? Creatine. 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 Yeah. Well, cre- Creatine. That's uh, <laughs> that's a Mark McGuire. Yeah. Creatine. Um, yeah. Creatine. Uh, the Creatine Blue Jays. That's uh, Tigers have drafted quite a few players from there, right? Is it Michael Gerber from there? Gerber's from there. Danny Woodrow's from there. And who did they take this year? They took another outfielder from there this year. Uh, Reese Hampton. Is that right? No. Yeah. I can't and, remember. And one of one of their pitchers too was a guy who came from Creighton and then transferred. So yeah, it's a place they uh, they hit up fairly frequently. They like their center fielders from there. Spe- there are a couple other. I just uh couple other interesting baseball things going on right now that that might or might not interest people there's the women's world cup of baseball is going on really yeah which uh you know it's one of those things where i always wonder like who the hell's watching the wnba (laughs) and it just occurred to me like probably really big basketball fans are because i would watch women's baseball and we've talked about this before i know i think it's kind of cool i i pretty much loathe softball 
it's not because it's women. It's because of the way the game's played with like these bunts and, you know, it, it just, it's, it's a weird version of the game that I don't really like, but I will watch women play baseball because it should be pretty damn good. It'll be fun to see, see women play baseball, but that's, that's going on. I think you can watch it online. Really? And there's also, yeah, there's also, and I'm not sure where online, probably on MLB, dot uh, com. Uh, just look it up. Yeah, look up the Women's World Cup, Women's Baseball World Cup 2018 schedule and live stream info. Uh, and then there's also, this is something that I don't think is nearly as interesting. Maybe that's not interesting to anybody, but uh, there's, MLB is trying to start, you know, there's, it's, it, we're, kind of toward the end of the showcase circuit for the rising seniors, rising high school seniors. There was the Under Armour tournament and there's East Coast Pro and the Perfect Game All-American tournament and the Aerial Code games and all this stuff. But there's a, a thing that they're starting now where it's it's going to be a three-game series between Texas and California. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's basically like the all-star teams from both those states playing each other. And that'll it'll include Bobby Witt Jr., who was kind of the presumptive top prep player. And that's another thing you can watch on uh, online. And Texas and California usually produce multiple first-round picks from the prep ranks. So if anybody is bored this weekend and you don't want to watch professional baseball, you can head online and check out those games and see some guys who probably go in the first round next year. Yeah, I got to watch the, some of the, the perfect game uh was it two? Was it about two weeks ago? Was it two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that, and I remember messaging you about some of the some of the kids in there. Bobby Wood Jr. did. He was playing third when I saw him play, and some of the kids' fastballs and some of the the off speed stuff was ridiculous, and just the movement already at that age was remarkable. Yeah, one of the it. it unfortunately, I tend to have to write my weekly recaps on Sundays, so I miss. I missed the Little League Classic, you know, between the Mets and the Phillies, whatever you were talking, uh, the, yeah. the one from Williamsport. Correct. And I missed, I recorded the perfect game, but I still haven't watched it. I still have, I still have the one from last year because I want to go back through and see how Parker Meadows looked. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's usually really fun and, and cool to see these guys. And the, the only issue sometimes with these showcases is that guys are really just going out there to show out. Which is fine. You know, everybody should have fun, but you don't get a great feel for how guys actually play. If that makes any sense, yes, you know, they're, they're they're out there instead of you know the pitchers are out there just trying to throw really hard or make guys look foolish and they're they're not conserving themselves and stuff like that. But with these, I'm pretty sure with this Texas California thing, it's actual teams and they're they're going to be playing. So the the pitchers I think will go more than one or two innings. So I don't know it's. Uh, uh, it's something I think baseball is going to want to. Major League Baseball is trying to do that with more states in the future too. So I think it could be pretty cool. I love to see, especially too, because in terms of I know players in the Midwest, it's not what it once was. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm in, in, interested. We've talked about this before about players in in Michigan and Indiana, and some of we talked a little bit Big Big Ten baseball. I think earlier in the spring, and I'm also I would love to see the like something Michigan versus Ohio only because it just in terms of what the cold and and, and, and even training because training is totally different here than it is down south where you can weather definitely plays a factor but I, I'd love to see how the Midwest fa- would go against somebody like California and Texas where they get smoked 
how would they fare? So, yeah, well, I think one of the things, obviously, the, the main advantage for these warm weather states is they play much more. But what you see is is that really good players can come from just about anywhere. It's just a matter of the depth of the good players. Like Jared Kelenic, you know, he's from Wisconsin. He was top five pick last year, I think, top six. But uh, I don't think a an all-star team from Wisconsin would have a prayer against an all-star team from Florida or Texas. But Kelenic might be able, you know, might end up being the best player on the field that day. It's just uh, just the way it goes sometimes with the depth. Yeah, and then, like in even what, like I said, I think the the biggest thing to, to take away from these prospect games, well, you're right. And something I didn't think about until you just said it, but some of those guys are going out there just throwing complete another gas because they know they're on television too. I mean, that was on the MLB Network, and yes, I know the MLB Network is limited per se to certain channels that or certain houses that get it or not, but still, you're on national television, you get pumped up, you you could take it up a notch. So absolutely. And it's you know, Daniel Espino, who's the hardest thrower in the high school class, and he keeps hitting 99. But nobody really knows what his velo looks like after three or four innings at this point. So that'll be something that scouts will zero in on. I mean, I'm sure some scouts know it, but it's not kind of public knowledge right now. Right. Absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Um, so inside, I wanted to go in the inside the numbers tonight and look at some, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, kind of. You look at the A's right now, and the AL West has been a fascinating watch in the last month or so. And looking at, really, it's going to be, it's a division that Chris, I mean, I, I know I predicted, predicted Seattle, and that was wrong and stupid, well, but, you know, it, it, it looked good earlier in the year. But the A's have quietly, and the, the A's are sitting one and a half back as of recording tonight. Excuse me, one, just one back. Mariners are five and a half back of the Astros, but the bullpen, the A's bullpen, the rotation, it's all been just smashed. They've just been doing well. There've been guys that have been stepping up. And one guy that has stepped up big time and a guy who is a friend of the show or a former uh, Tiger is Edwin Jackson. And Edwin Jackson's one of those guys that you don't, you stop and think, you go, well, Edwin Jackson, really? Like you just, you pause and think about it because he's been really nothing but a journeyman the last couple of years in terms of a guy. I mean, you think, would it be fair to say that in the last, I mean, early in his career, you you pencil him in as a three or four starter, third or four starter, like automatically? Oh, well, you know, at his best, he was probably a number three starter. His best season ever was with the Tigers, I think. And, and at the time, we kind of viewed him as a number two starter, maybe, on that net team. But, yeah, for the most part, he's a uh, he was a number four, number five starter. It was just kind of... He was a guy who always just threw fastballs and sliders and never really – the arm was always good, always threw hard. It was just never really terribly successful. And he's been in the league forever. He came up when he was 19 or 20, I think. He's been on something like 14 teams. It's, I thought he tied the record of Octavio Dotel for the most teams. Man, he's he's but, been – yeah, he's, he's just – he's been – you're right. He's been around forever, and it's it, – but the thing that's – we talked about the reason why I brought him up a little bit is they there was a great article in baseball baseball po- prospects about um about his spin rate in terms of or his cutter and what excuse me not cutter but his uh, not spin rate cutter and they talked about the cutter saving and reshaping careers of a lot of baseball pe- uh, veterans and they've been a couple of minds but Edwin Jackson 
the, the, the number I wanted to bring up was 6.7 and or excuse me 5.7 which is the number of the percentage of cutters that's made up for the league pitches this season which is down from 6.7 from uh, 2016 and 7.6 in 2013 so they and the number of really another number that stood out 20 pitchers 25 or younger have thrown cutters just 2 per, 2.2% of the time and that's down from 4.7 last year in 2013 so this cutter has been a saving grace for Edward Jackson, and it's given really him kind of a different, I guess, the the big difference between his time in Baltimore and Washington this year is release point, which has affected his cutter and has been much more effective. So it's it's interesting when you see it in terms of like, the you talked about this last week, Chris, about, you know, I think it was, you talk about Tampa and, and him going to the left, left side of the rubber or the right side of the rubber. And in this case, just looking at the release point, differential and just seeing that how much more of a difference that makes on just a pitch that he's been throwing for quite a while. Yeah. And, and Oakland for what they've been a smart organization for a long time. They, they find guys and fix them or have, get them good and trade them before they go bad. And it you know, wouldn't shock me. I, I haven't read, I don't know if Jackson did that on his own. Oakland helped him, but that is really interesting. And, and, I know there are a lot of teams, you mentioned the, the low rate of cutters for young players. There are a lot of teams that, or at least a lot of uh, coaches that, that don't like cutters. I know the Orioles were banning players from throwing cutters. They, a lot of coaches think that maybe it eventually affects your four-seam fastball. You know, it, it's something about it. Throwing it over, relying on it, the cutter, and throwing it too much then you don't get the velocity back in your four-seamer. I know some people are a little concerned that Casey Mize throws the cutter. But, uh, yeah, I think for veteran pitchers, and this was sort of a, th- a thing a few years back, was it, it became a really good weapon for guys to add late in their career to give them a little bit more movement and maybe compensate for the loss of velocity. So it's, it's, I mean, it's one of those really good stories this year. I don't know. I haven't looked at his numbers. I don't know how well he's done this year. I don't know if he's a candidate for a comeback player of the year, but it's uh, it's pretty damn cool for Edwin Jackson. It's also really cool for the A's too. I mean, this is a, a yeah. this is a team that you know we talk about. Money, I was talking about. I've never like, By the way, I was watching Moneyball this evening for a little bit, and I confession, I've never seen it, have not had a chance to see it. But this is a team that is finally getting some good news. They were getting a new stadium after literally being in a toilet bowl. Not kidding, and um, getting some good news with this. It was just. The young guys are stepping up. It's a system that is intriguing that really the farm system that doesn't overpower you in the sense that it's not top, you know, it's not always talked about being top 10 or anything like that, but they, they the talent they have with, within is just seems like they're on the radar and they're quiet and they, they start making noise, but that bullpen, the thing about the bullpen, that the, the exchange of four, they, they were able to manage, and I, and I was I said this on Twitter last night, they exchanged four guys in the middle of June and June with Sean Kelly, which will we'll get the Sean Kelly will come up again later on in the podcast, but Sean Kelly, Fernando Rodney, and the other two I'm trying to think I've drawn a blank on at the moment. But they exchange essentially switched out their entire bullpen on the fly, minus minus uh uh Blake Trainer and one other other person. They released uh former giant uh Santiago Casilla. Yeah, Casilla. And they've managed to do this well, and Edwin Jackson's a big part of it. So 
That was my the other inside of number is kind of a little more deeper, but we'll we'll save that for next week. But go ahead, Chris. Yeah, they, I mean they they the, the one big thing, yeah, Blake Trinan they got from the National. I think they had Blake Trinan earlier in his career. They got him from the Nats for Sean Doolittle, who was good when he's healthy, but he's hurt a lot. And then Ryan Madsen. And they so they not only they get Trinan, who's maybe the best reliever in baseball this year. They also got Jesus Lazardo in that deal, who's the top left-handed pitching prospect in baseball. He may come up this year and help them. So uh, yeah, I mean that was one hell of a, a trade for the the A's. And then they brought you know Lou Trevino from out of nowhere. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's definitely a cool story. It'll be interesting to see if they can overtake the Astros, which I don't think anybody would have seen coming. But you know what though? Here's the thing about that too, Chris. I wanted to mention that friend of the show, Mark Garage, who had us over last week, and he got a lot of crap for this. Remember the whole entire like, well, the A's should trade for more bullpen help, and everybody's like, oh, they got enough. They don't need to trade any more prospects. Blah blah blah. And it's you know he got he got a lot of crap from a lot of people about that on Twitter. And then guess what? I guess it's been the been the biggest Achilles heel for the Astros has been their bullpen, and. It's yeah, it, it's weird. They have, I think they have the top bullpen ERA in the majors, but it has, like you're saying, you know, they got rid of Ken Giles because he just wasn't getting it done, and still it seems like it's been an issue for them. The Astros have just been playing poorly in general uh, for, since they got Osuna, which is kind of odd, but I expect them to turn it around. They, they you know, they were missing Altuve and Springer and Correa, so... We'll see. I, I, I think that they're the better team, but the A's are certainly making it fun, that's for sure. You know, people are calling it Moneyball 2 or whatever. Oh, they are? Oh, I I'm not, I wasn't going to call it Moneyball 2. I was just going to call yeah. it as Billy Bean just being Billy Bean doing his yeah. thing. That's it. So what's your inside of numbers this week, Chris? Uh, my inside of numbers are negative 0.3 and 8.00. That is the F war and ERA for Joe Jimenez over the last 30 days. Which is the worst on the Tigers, at least among say, the pitchers. I know that's not good. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not a fluke. It's uh, it's ten games, nine innings pitched, nine hits, six walks, three homers, one hit by pitch, eleven strikeouts, and the BABIP against him is only two seventy three. So it's not. Like I said, it's not a huge fluke. His ERA by month this year is uh, two five seven, two seventy, three oh nine, four ninety one, and now six seventy five. Um. And so yeah, I. I I mentioned that, but I don't think fans should be worried. Really, I think it's uh, there. There might be a little bit of regression due to other teams scouting him and knowing what he's going to throw. But I think it's almost all because he's tired, uh, which makes some sense. I think he's at 53 innings this year, and his previous career high was 53 and a two thirds. And we've still got what five, six weeks of the season left. They really rode him hard earlier in the year. I think. Uh, he led the league in appearances in May with 16, and he had 12 more in June. And we talk, people talk about this, like, hey, you got to stop using him so much. But he was pitching so well, and they were still kind of – that was back when the Tigers were still kind of playing respectable baseball. So it made some sense. But, yeah, I think I think basically what's happening to him now is he's tired and he's just missing his spots more. That's the, the first – First 44 innings of the season, he gave up one homer and six walks. And in the last nine innings, it's three homers and six walks. So, or he gave 12, 12 walks in the first 44 innings, six walks in the last nine. So, yeah, it's clearly he's just uh, missing his location. And I think probably what happened, he was so bad last year and came out of the gate so good this year, I think he probably just worked his ass off in the offseason 
trying to get better and working at it and working at it. And I think he probably just maybe overextended himself a little bit and he's paying the price now. And I would expect maybe next year, you know, given what we've seen of him in terms of learning, you know, he learned so much from his failure last year and his pitched so well this year that he was an all-star. I, I kind of believe in him and his ability to turn it back around next year and be a solid reliever for the majority of the season and probably eventually take over the closer role, assuming they trade green at some point. No, I agree with you, Chris. And, and it, it is a tool. It's not only a, a physical tool, it's also a mental tool. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of high level situations that yes, he's been through those in the minors, but it's a little different up here, obviously, but also, at the same time, he's been used a lot differently here than he has before. So that mentally also is a, is a little bit exhausting. But the All-Star game was a good nod. His stuff early in the year, you can tell the movement's not even there at all. It's, it's, it's been kind of flat. Yeah, I think he's just tired. Yeah. it's it's that's, like that's he's, he's, still, he's still getting strikeouts. So I think the stuff is still pretty good. I think he's just not locating it the way he was earlier in the year. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I think he'll be back next year. No problem in terms of just coming back, being just as effective this year as he'll be for next year. So, um, But it is now time for the good and bad, the good, the bad, and ugly. And uh, it's an interesting batch this week because there's been a lot of ugly baseball. I mean, we saw the Mets score 25 runs after getting 25 scores runs on them, and they did it against Philly as the – Really, the NL the NL East race has become one of those things where you look at it on paper and you go, "What what happened? What 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 the hell happened?" Um, so my good, bad, the good, the bad, and ugly. Yeah, the, 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 the Nats mini fire sale. Yeah, the mini fire sale. Which yeah, that's uh, so it's been a stranger in the NL East. That's yeah, for sure. Especially, no one expected the Braves to be this doing this well. Um, this we're going this early in terms of they have the talent there, but but the the Phillies getting in in there. As well, and making some their offseason signings have been paying off, but they're two and a half back of the lead. The Nationals for all the fire sales are eight and eight out, but it's done. It's done, so and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But so the good is really it's, it's all basically a old friend of the show today. Another another one, Anibal Sanchez. So Rotographs has a chart that has starting pitchers for game scores under forty. So the baseline of the ba- of the scores are fifty. So and this is pretty much when you're in terms of starts that are blowout starts. So if you have a score under forty, you had a bad start. It's a pretty much a bl- it's a blow it's a meltdown start essentially. So Anibal Sanchez, in just seventeen in seventeen starts, he has two just two what starts with forty or under game scores for a rate of twelve percent. So. I was gonna look up the and I was trying to find the, the uh, what his score was for the Tigers. And I couldn't find it, but that's pretty good. I'm considering, I'm considering that probably with the Tigers is closer to forty or fifty percent, and that's just a, a bad guess. But you know, it was funny. I was I, when I was looking up, just doing some research, trying to find my inside the numbers. I looked at the Tigers pitchers over the last calendar year, and like their fifth best pitcher was Annabelle Sanchez with like uh, 0.07 war. He was really good in his last six starts last year. It was like 11 strikeouts per nine, two walks per nine, a two point something FIP. So maybe, maybe there were some signs there, but, uh, but I obviously the Tigers didn't want to sign him and shouldn't have. So, but it is interesting to see what he's doing now. Yeah. Well, essentially with the same stuff too. 
Mm-hmm. So the the bad, I'm at I'm at same chart with 50 being like I said being the baseline, and this this chart comes from Paul Sporer, who's a good follow on Twitter by the way. Jose Barrios has nine meltdown starts, so nine under 40 in 25 starts with 36 percent clip rate. So Barrios, I think maybe if Barrios was a little, it was his fortunes were a little different. I think the Twins would be in a better spot. I don't think he's regressed, Chris. I just uh, think he's still figuring stuff out. Yeah, I, I heard somebody. What were they calling it? Uh, I, I heard a, a, an interesting term for that kind of year today, and I've gone and forgotten it. It was on a, uh, another podcast. Uh, it was like a collective year or something like that. A year where you figure things out and, and then you take off in the following year. They were referring to Luis Castillo of the the Reds, but. Yeah, I can see that with Barrios. He's he's really talented, and I think sometimes that's what you see from younger starters is not necessarily uh, like the the most consistent pitchers in the world. It takes it takes a lot of work to become a consistent pitcher. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, you you have to uh, uh, you know, of course, the work uh, the work aspect of it too. It's repeating the same mechanics, and that's something that, you know, we, we looked at the Justin Verlander injury that was coming out and how one little thing, his his windup kept getting worse and worse, which was causing his injury. So it's it's how much video and study you of yourself you got to look at and see. You might be able to see it, but you may need five or six people's different eyes to see it. So it's, it's fascinating how that works with pitching. How it could just be one little thing and then just changes it all. So, and the ugly, well, Chris, kind of for... Uh, kind of foretold this a little bit but it is the washington nationals and they're not raising no title banner this year it's just it's i think it's worse than the mets or anything else in baseball because they're expected to do so well but there was a report this week that mike rizzo almost got in a, came to uh, came to fist of cuffs with sean kelly uh essentially they almost got a fight for him throwing a fit and jeff passan who posted an article on yahoo was talking about this and uh they talked about, I mean, Murphy just got picked up. He got a, his first single tonight for the Cubs against the Tigers. And Mike Adams was traded back to the Cardinals. And this is from the article. Between talking about how the actions we're, we're taking under will strengthen the franchise and keep us in the positioning of a perennial contender. And shouting out general manager Mike Rizzo while not bothering to mention David Martinez by, by name. Owner, uh, you know, I forgot his first, oh, the, the owner, uh, Liner saw the O'Malley of the Nationals 2018 season and happily raised it. Every day, it seems, brings a new twist to this team that entered the season with championship aspirations. Finally brandished a white flag on Tuesday with 125 games of sub-baseball under their belts. Arguably the most talented collection of players in the National League never figured out how to be a winning team, and soul dissolution began by jettisoning Murphy and Adams. The Nationals did pull Bryce Harper off waivers after the Dodgers claimed him, ensuring he'll spend the last six weeks of the season with the team that drafted him, developed him in seven seasons, and didn't win a playoff game with him. Ouch. And and you you know, Chris and I, you've talked Chris, we've talked about this before, about managers making a difference, but you know, I, I think I, I was pretty kind of scratching my head a little bit why they fired Dusty Baker uh, when we did our, our offseason stuff. And you know, here they are with David Martinez, and he he might get fired after this. But you know, I, there was a thing about Dusty Baker that brought that kind of calm, veteran presence. He was a guy who 
the players looked up to because this guy has been around. He's he was a, a successful manager with the Cubs and the Giants, and he earned that respect. And meanwhile, they they bring in Dave Martinez, and it's like, well, that's not the same. It's the same kind of clout. So I think in that case, a veteran manager for this kind of club would have made a difference, perhaps. Yeah, you know, it's been so weird that they're sort of back and forth with their managers. Like, and I often say, you know, I don't buy that what managers, uh, you know, you mentioned it. I, I don't think managers make a whole lot of difference, but they definitely can in a couple uh, circumstances. And we saw that before Dusty Baker with Matt Williams, where he completely lost that clubhouse and was a terrible communicator and bad things were happening all over the place. Jonathan Papelbon was trying to strangle Bryce Harper. Um, and they brought in Dusty Baker, who's a great players manager. You know, the, the players love him. The issue there is that he's old school and very bad with, like, modern analytics. I mean, somebody was retweeting something about him, how he said he – somebody asked him why he pitched to Mike Trout instead of, instead of Albert Pujols, who had an OPS, you know, 500 points lower. lower. And he said that Pujols has done more damage against my teams than Trout has. It was like, wow. Oh, <laughs> all right. But, but yeah, like you said, he, he, players loved him. They, he won like 180 games with the Nats. And then they brought in Dave Martinez, who's, who was the hope was he was going to be kind of, you know, analytically inclined and a good players manager. And it's just, it's been kind of a disaster again this year. And I, I don't know if, if we start seeing, hearing more stories come out about the clubhouse, maybe he will get fired. But uh, I, I don't think he'll get fired. I feel like he'll get some more time it's just yeah it's, it's been one of the more perplexing uh stories in baseball for sure yeah i mean this is a this is a team that was a, a lock to win the nl east because you thought the braves weren't ready you thought the phillies weren't ready to come to contention i mean the mets and marlins it's, it's a joke and but the Bra- the one thing about the nationals too is that rotation i mean you know you have one of the arguably you're gonna waste again a couple of years of masters are being just money and Steven Strasburg as well. There, there, this rotation it, it kind of it's really similar to a, a frustration matter in terms of like just looking at it. I saw somebody on Twitter say this is reminds them of the twenty three or the the, the the Tigers run, and I think mm-hmm. it's a little. I think it's yes, it's worse. Yeah, it's worse. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say they have. They, Go ahead. Yeah, and what didn't win a damn playoff series. Yeah, at least the Tigers got there a couple times, and the yeah. Nationals were pretty much essentially the Buffalo Bills of baseball. I mean, that's no, there's no other way. And well, I know, no, no that's well, like the, the Bengals, man. They, they yeah. didn't win a playoff game, but like or the Chiefs, the or the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, there was a time yeah. that they didn't they didn't win their first playoff game till for the first time since like Joe Montana was a quarterback till recently. So, but they, I do. Yeah, I think we have to be realistic with ourselves and call them the Lions. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, oh. Because that's the worst. That's the worst. Yeah. The team that makes the playoffs and they have one playoff victory ever. I just know some Lions fans like oh, this year. Jeffers give me a Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. I mean, you know, fo- football. Yay. So, uh, Chris, what's your uh, good, bad, and ugly this week? Well, I'm almost done with the positions. We are now to starting pitchers, and uh, so I, my good starting pitchers, I. You know, the best starting pitchers this year are all people that most fans know. I think it's Chris Sale and Verlander and Corey Kluber and Max Scherzer. And Trevor Bauer is kind of a you know newcomer, but I think people know of him. 
Garrett Cole. I thought about doing it on, on Jacob deGrom just because he's having such a monster year. But I think people pretty much know about him. So I want to focus on two people that I – two pitchers that I don't think uh, get a lot of publicity. And that's uh, Aaron Nola of the Phillies and Patrick Corbin of the Diamondbacks. Uh, and I, like I said, they're not nobodies. People – baseball fans know who these guys are. But they're really having fantastic seasons, and you just don't hear a whole lot about them. Uh, Corbin ranked sixth in F War at 5.3 in all of baseball, and fifth in, in baseball reference war at 3.6. Nola is seventh in F War, just behind Corbin, but he's first in baseball reference war at 8.3. Uh, he's, he's on pace to put up like 10.5 war for a pitcher, which is insane. Yeah, it was for, just, that is like. Wow. The, the last Zach Greinke put up 10.4 in 2009. Before that, you have to go back to 2002 with Randy Johnson at 10.7. It's uh, he's having a remarkable year according to that particular metric. Uh, and like I said, you don't hear anybody talking about it. Um, and like I said, did not nobody's Corbin was a three-win pitcher last year, and also in 2013, Nola was a top-10 pick and and a four-win pitcher last year. But I mean. A potential 10-win season from a pitcher is insane, and I don't even hear him getting mentioned. I, I guess you hear him with Max Scherzer and DeGrom as, as a Cy Young candidate, but if you go by this, he's the, he should be the shoe-in. But, uh, and I was looking at how they do it, and Corbin, they both have really good fastballs, at least in terms of the pitch-weighted effectiveness or whatever, you know, when I was talk, talking a couple weeks ago. They, they both have been very effective with their fastballs. Uh, Corbin's is 15th in baseball this year. His slider is second, so that's it tells you that's his money pitch. And his curve is, is a positive pitch. It's like top 30. But Nola has uh, the fourth-best fastball, the third-best curve, and the fifth-best change, like three top-five pitches. Uh, so that explains why he's having his success. So I just a couple really good seasons from guys that you don't hear a whole lot about, and I thought they were worth mentioning. No, it's definitely. And you know what, what I find, too, I forgot about this, too, was how rare that is, Chris, you're talking about that. Look at Doc Gooden with one of the best of all time. And this is like mm -hmm. a, that's and I don't look at it as a modern baseball because I, I, older baseball doesn't really count. But it was like I think he was he had a 12 in 1985. Dwight Gooden had a 12.2 war. And that is ranks 25th of all time. However, OK, that's that's like, OK, well, no, that number doesn't really stand out. But if you think about it, it's. The first modern number, it's the first one that stands out in terms of modernness because every every other one in that list, I mean, number one of all time is Pud Gavin, and he pitched in 1884. <laughs> and then and then Dwight Gooden, and you know, we've talked about Dwight Gooden a lot in this, this year in, in this podcast, but rightfully so. But every other person on this list is 1878, 1894. Uh, the only one that comes in the list in the, the, the 19th century or in the 1900s, the first one is Walter Johnson. With fifteen point oh yeah. in nineteen thirteen, and then you know Dwight Gooden's the first one in the modern or in the last thirty years, and after that, it's Steve Carlton's up next. That's the next one. So yeah, Pedro, I think, had a close. Yeah, I mean, you're getting into Hall of Famers for the right. most part, other than you know Dwight Gooden or Wilbur when Wood. Or Wilbur Wood. When you're when you're talking double digit WAR, basically double digit WAR seasons from anybody is uh remarkable right. and from pitchers it's really remarkable and so i and i i can't really tell you why nola's <laughs> war is so outrageous on baseball reference I, I didn't look into it too much i mean he's having a great year it's like a 2-4 era 
but uh, yeah, I don't know why it's so far ahead of someone like DeGrom, who's got like a 190, right? So I'd, I'd have to dig into that. I assume it's the defense behind him. I do think that's that's. I think I read somewhere about, about the Phillies. It was about defensive run saves and how the Phillies were dead last and the Diamondbacks were first. So maybe that, maybe that's why Corbin's war is so far behind uh, DeGrom's because he plays for the best defensive team and, and not DeGrom's, but behind Nola's and Nola plays for the worst. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was just noteworthy and something to watch for the stats nerds going forward this year. Uh, for my bad, I picked Jim Lester, who pitched against the Tigers tonight, whose numbers on the surface look okay, but when you, you dig into them, it's really kind of troubling. Uh, he's His ERA is like 3-7, but his FIP is 4-8, which is 63rd out of 73 quali- qualified starters this year. His strikeouts are down pretty dramatically. They're down from like 9 for 9 last year, 7.2 this year. His walks are up, and so are his homers. Those are all bad indicators. Uh, he's been he's been worth at least two and a half war for the last ten seasons, but he'll be lucky to get to one war this year. And then the Cubs are on the hook for twenty two and a half million next year, fifteen million the year after that, and ten million the year after that. So the you know he's he's getting up there too. So it, it looks like this could be the the natural aging curve. Maybe he'll have a dead cat bounce year, or maybe it's just a bad season, just an injury or something like that. But. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty bad for Lester, despite what it might look like on the surface. And for the ugly, I would stick with the Cubs, and I could really just do the whole damn Cubs rotation. You know, talk about Lester. Uh, I, I started writing about Quintana, but he's actually not owed that much money, and, and it could be a free agent soon. So if he keeps being poor, he, he's basically been just as bad as Lester. They could, they could cut him loose pretty soon. Darvish is out for the year after not being very good. But the guy I went with is Tyler Chatwood, who... You know, I remember when the Cubs signed him, people thought it was kind of interesting. They thought maybe it was a clever one because he had been pitching for the Rockies. And there was the idea that maybe Coors was really masking a pretty good pitcher here. And that getting into a, a solid system away from the Rocky Mountains might help him out. But man, has he been bad this year. Uh, he's got a 5.22 ERA. And uh, a 5.56 FIP, which is 105 out of 106 pitchers who've thrown at least 100 innings. And his negative 0.4 war is the worst in baseball. But this is, this is, this is what is shocking to me. He's walking 8.2 batters per nine innings. Um, that is the highest by far of any starter in, to, to pitch at least 100 innings since 2000. The, the next closest guy was Victor Zambrano, and that was 6.5 in 2004. So he's like walking two more guys per nine innings than anyone else has in the last 20 years. You have to go back to 1987 to find somebody who walked more batters per nine innings than him. And it was Bobby Witt Sr. <laughs> when it was the Texas uh, or with the Angels? Yeah. And, and Bobby, I don't know how Bobby Witt had a career because he, he was like 8.8 per nine in 87. And it was like 8.1 per nine in 86. Uh, so I don't know what the hell was going on there. But for real, this is this is. I checked. I went all the way back to as far back as Fangraphs goes, which is 1871. Uh, and, and this right now, Chatwood is having the fifth highest walks per nine season of all time. Um, so, and and the Cubs owe him. What is it? They signed him for three years, so they owe him 12 and a half next year and 13 million in 2020. And they had, you know, they recently put him in the bullpen. He made a start again uh, the other day. But man, 
uh, that that that's looking like it could be a disaster for them. You know, what the, you know what's funny about the, the walks too. The the next closest guy is uh, Lucas uh, Giolito, mm-hmm. and it's, he's got seventy two, which is not even like not within ten. It's it's within twenty. Was he, you said which was about ninety three? You said. I, I didn't even look at his numbers. I was just looking at oh. the numbers per nine. But yeah, I mean he's thrown a hundred and something, and he's got eight walks per nine, so it's at least eighty. Yeah, he's got 90, 93 walks, Chris. And it, in 103 innings? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolute insanity. Yeah. I'm sure that there, there have been relievers who've walked that many guys. Uh, and, and some relievers who threw 100 innings in the season. But no starters. This this is absurd. Like, you can't be a starter with a walk rate over four and a half, usually. Yeah. And it, it's, so. it, it's, it's amazing to me, too, about that, too, is if you can you imagine Chatwood's walks if he didn't go to the bullpen? He would have 100, over 100 right now, you think? <laughs> Yeah, probably. It, it's it, I don't know. It's it's kind of remarkable to me that the Cubs, with their pitching staff, the Cubs uh, are playing as well as they are. You know what? You by the way, um, all this, David Bodie. This is a stat that will they'll back up a little bit. They've mustered just 661 total innings pitched as a unit among teams contending for the playoffs. That is the lowest number of innings pitched by team starters, and that's uh that's through uh, Cubs Cribbies. Credit to Cub Cribby Cubs Crib. Can't say it. Cubscrib.com for that that nugget. Yeah, it's uh, it's been ugly all around for their I mean that's why they went and traded for Cole Hamels. He's not exactly uh, you know, tearing things up, but it was an upgrade for them. Yeah, I mean for what it's worth though, I mean they've had some guys that step up, including and you know, and it's something that you, you don't think about too, is their bullpen's been able to do pretty well, but guys like uh Randy Rosado. I mean, this is a this is you know he is he stepped he stepped in when Carl Edwards Jr. was out for a little bit, but I mean since the All Star break he's kind of been bad, but still it's a guy. Luckily the Cubs have been able to get some guys like that, but he he's also kind of walking a little bit too much. But at any rate, yeah, that I, I don't know, Chris. I mean, with the with the Cardinals coming on, another uh, tale of two managers here with the Cardinals mm-hmm. right now. That that NL Central race has been, you know, here we are, end of almost end of August. Pittsburgh's now pretty much out of contention, essentially. Brewers, Cardinals, the Cardinals, Chris. It's just, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the best teams in baseball for the last ever since they fired Matheny. Yeah, and you know, so that, that's another do- one where where I think yeah, managers actually can't make a difference when you suck. Yeah, or just ask the Reds the same question too. Yeah. So it's I, I don't it's 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 fascinating to watch the in terms of the the Cardinals and Carpenter should get I I want him to win the NFL, NL MVP he's been a one man show and that, and that's a guy and, and this is a team too also devastated by injury or has had some injury core or key injuries and they've been able to overcome by just strong just pitching like just that farm depth you were talking about depth Chris and which leads into the Tiger farm system report here in a second but Cardinals getting. Guys that are coming from Memphis and Double A, they've been able to just kind of step in and fill a role. Yeah, no, the, the Cardinals they it seemed for a, a little while there like maybe that uh, player development machine kind of was grinding down, but they really, I mean, man, they stayed in what they're doing. They took Nolan Gorman what like 18th this year, and he's got 15 homers already. He's already as a high school infielder, he's already in the Midwest League. Yeah, already? It's really rare, yeah. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, they just uh, they seem to know what they're doing. They've got a, a glut of outfielders. They always seem to have somebody who can step up. You know, Paul DeYoung 
suddenly comes out of nowhere and it, it's it's uh yeah it's they've been really impressive i i did not expect them to be able to withstand the loss of reyes and i think carlos martinez is out too isn't he yeah and, and like their top pitcher right now is it miles mikolash uh yeah <laughs> who uh, yeah yeah it, it's it, to me miles mikolash chris okay so my favorite player on the Cardinals right now has been Harrison Bader because this is a guy yeah, yeah this is a guy who they drafted in the third round and th- this is where I wish the Tigers could get somebody like this where the Tigers like just in terms of an outfielder that can come in and make a quick impact already and it's it, it's remarkable with him and then with in terms of Mikolash this is a guy who was drafted almost 10 years ago this is 2009 guy and this is a guy who you know like he yeah he came from japan i think right yeah i think he was let's see yeah i believe yeah he was he was he started off in the Padres system and just kind of really was it he floated he was yeah let's see uh let's see he was released by the rangers in 2014 and then yeah he was in japan for the last couple of years yeah, I mean that's that's one of those things where you just found your best starter, your most consistent starter. You just found him and paid him, you found him for free. Yeah, and um, I was looking for his Japanese league stats too because I was trying to see where. Yeah, and and Bader is one of those guys who I, I, he was a name, in heading into the draft that year. I think he was a, a center fielder for Florida. That's correct. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's another one of those sort of classic, the Cardinals. Almost like the way that the A's used to during the Moneyball era, they would take these kind of overlooked college players and turn them into quality major leaguers, or take advantage of. It. And with Bader, it's like he's just a borderline elite defender, apparently. And I, I don't remember that being the book on him coming out of college. Maybe, maybe it was, and I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, he's been outstanding. So it's, I don't know, it's another one of those. Another, they're trying to be jealous of the way Cardinals the Cardinals do things. Yeah, and it is. It, it, I'm. I. I really admit I'm jealous of the card. The quote. It's pretentious to sound like the Cardinal way, but they get it done every year, and they are able to even the way that I mean Luke Weaver has kind of been trial by fire this year, but Jack Flaherty's been really good. Yeah, it's uh, it's drafting and development, man. We look back at their old drafts, and and they used to pride themselves on getting guys in the later rounds who could come to the, get to the majors eventually. And you mentioned Matt Adams earlier. He was a guy, I think they drafted him in like the 18th or 25th round or something like that. He's been a quality major leaguer. Yeah. They get so, him back. They get him back from the nationals. Yeah. For, for cash, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then guys, even like John Gant, John Gant's just another, another cast off. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's the main character in Atlas Shrug. <laughs> so uh, moving on, let's start with the, let's start with Toledo. Let's start with the Buttons. And what's going on with the, the big playoff race here? Yeah, well, I mean, so I mentioned earlier that they're not entirely out of it. I think they came into tonight three and a half out of first place uh, with 12 games left. And they won tonight, a nice uh, comeback win. The The reason I said they're not entirely out of it, I mean, that, that seems like pretty daunting to be three, three and a half games back with that much uh, time left. They've got eight games against Columbus. And three games against Indianapolis, and those are the two teams ahead of them in the standings. They're both tied for first, or at least they were heading tonight. So there's a chance. I think it's a slim chance, given the way that they've been playing and the talent on the roster right now. But there's a chance. Uh, 
I guess the, probably the biggest news was just Daz Cameron getting promoted up there. He hasn't been performing terribly well, but it's only five, six games or whatever. And uh, it's kind of a cool reward for him for how good he's been this year. Started in Lakeland, which I think it's kind of funny to remember. Um, and it's Kristen Stewart hit his, hit his 20th home run of the year for Toledo. I think it was his 22nd overall, but that's three straight years with 20 homers. And we mentioned about him coming up. Uh, he, he may, if he does come up, I would expect him to, he'll probably hit a, one or two homers for the Tigers and people will be excited, but uh, he might be the first in the wave of prospects actually showing up. Uh, let's see. Robson, Jacob Robson still hitting 300 down there, which is impressive. Uh, his, his BABIP is like 425 though. So you, Got to wonder about that a little bit. And uh, I think it was uh, Tyler Alexander had the start tonight after getting blown out in his last start. Zach Houston picked up a six save. It, I do think it's interesting and, and noteworthy that Houston isn't their regular closer right now. If that's Johnny Barbado. And I think, I think it has everything to do with his breaking ball or Houston's breaking ball and his control he walks a little too many people and, and the breaking ball is a little loose right now but still his numbers are pretty outstanding so we and i'll be curious to see if, if they bring anybody else up or if it's just gonna be stewart i think they made room for him on the 40 man uh, inadvertently with their ridiculous uh jacob turner snafu that was embarrassing that was <sighs> yeah it's it just it's I mean, ultimately, it's meaningless because it's Jacob Turner, and you know he's just going to come up and, and be a sacrificial lamb again for, for the pitch. But it was like it tells you something when the attention to detail is so poor that they didn't realize that they couldn't bring him up. It's like, eh, maybe it's a really obscure thing, and they thought there was a loophole. But uh, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge that, that guys need to wait ten days unless there's an injury. But maybe they thought it was different when somebody gets DFA'd. I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically all that's going on in Toledo. I think it's you know, Toledo fans should be happy, excited about the playoff chase. It, it's kind of a long shot, but they're they're in it. Um, it Matt, Matt Hall coming down there a little bit, but he's been uh, yeah. I, you know, there's there was something I had uh, that I forgot to mention a couple weeks ago. Is Matt Hall is like top five spin in rate. all of minor league baseball in uh, in strikeouts per nine and spin rate too. Does he have one of the best spin rates? Well, he's always had a really nasty curveball, uh, and I did see some somebody referenced the spin rate. I think it was Mark. I, I, I haven't yeah. seen the numbers on the spin rate of his curveball, but you have to assume it's pretty damn good. The the way he misses bats with it, and and the way he's striking guys out with a 88 mile an hour fastball. So, yeah, I think he'll compete for a lefty reliever spot. But uh, yeah, down in, down in Erie, they're basically eliminated. I think they think they need. It's like maybe magic magic number to be eliminated is like one or two games at this point. They're 11 or 12 games back. But uh, still, one of the more exciting teams to watch. A little less exciting with, with Cameron gone, but they, they got a great start from Turnbull tonight. I think maybe one of his best starts of the year. And then Bo Burrows had an awesome start. Almost certainly his best start of the year or earlier this week, last week. His first start this year without a walk, which is something I've been kind of harping on. And that was when I, I tuned into a little bit, and his, I was really impressed with his changeup, the way he was locating it and the movement on it, and he was throwing it down and away to lefties, and they just couldn't touch it. And, and that was very encouraging to me because I haven't seen his secondary stuff look that good ever. So maybe he found something. Maybe it was a grip. Maybe it was just a, a one-game thing, but uh, that was impressive. Uh, I mentioned that they got a good start from Turnbull tonight, but they, they lost. 
when the newest member of the Tigers prospect hood, Nolan Blackwood, oh boy. Who, you know, one of the two players they got for Mike Fires. We still don't know who the second one is, but Nolan Blackwood's a sidearm reliever, kind of John Triberish, I guess, in that he's his side armor, but he throws harder than most side armors. It's like the low nineties. But he gave up a homer in two runs today and they lost. So not a not a great sign. It's, I think it was his second outing with Erie. Uh, we've got uh, we got Paredes is still hitting over 300. He's not hitting for much power. Um, but the same sort of thing happened to him at Lakeland this year. It seemed like it took him about six weeks to two months to really figure out what pitchers were doing and lock in. And then he started hitting, you know, he went on that kind of power barrage right before he got called up. And I would... I would bet that if he were in Erie for another month, six weeks, if the season were that long, he'd probably turn it on again there. But as it is, like I said, he's sitting over 300. He's taken a fair amount of walks. And uh, so I, excitement level remains high on Freddy's, I think, and it should. Uh, there's Willie, Willie Castro has been going nuts for Erie. It's, uh, what was he? he he's, uh, Hitting 350 with 12 extra base hits in 20 games, which I don't think any of that is sustainable. <laughs> I, you watch him, and he's just super aggressive. He, he makes easy contact, but there's a lot of aggression there. He'll swing swing at everything. I saw him strike out on, on a couple breaking balls down and in. I mean, those get a lot of guys, but it, it was there wasn't really – it doesn't look like he has a plan other than to just attack the ball, and so I think that's going to be a definite issue going forward. Um, Jake Rogers, Jake Rogers is bombing the ball. I think a lot of people you know, do the stats, point out to his stats since June 1st, which are pretty damn good. I was just looking at his, uh, since the all-star break, because minorleaguebaseball.com breaks it down nice and neat like that. I don't have to do any extra math. It's a uh, 841 OPS with eight homers in 30 games since the all-star break. And that, <laughs> that will do, that will do nicely. Yeah. And obviously, you can't just take that and, and apply it to the majors, but there are only a handful of catchers in the majors with an OPS over 800. Um, it, it really, I mean, if he's going to, if he can put an OPS up of 700 in the majors with the level of defense he's probably going to play, you're, he's still looking at it like a one to two war uh, player, and that's a damn fine regular for a catcher. So I think I'm encouraged there. He's, uh, he's hitting bombs and taking walks and. There, there will always be some swing and miss. He'll swing through pitches in the zone, but when he connects, they go a long way. So I, I, you know, I'm excited about Jake Rogers too. Um, and then you know he's not really a prospect, but Josh Lester had a monster week. He had one game where he had six RBIs, I think two homers, a double, and six RBIs. And then he had a homer again in the next game. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys. He, when they they drafted him, I think they spent a little extra money to get him. I think he was like an 11th or 12th rounder. Not a ton of extra money, but maybe like an extra 15, 20 grand. Um, and you watch him play, and it looks like there might be something there. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the bat speed. But given the state of the organization, I wouldn't be terribly shocked if he you know, shows up in Detroit one day. Probably not for more than like five or six games. But, you know, I mean, Jordan Linerton once was on the 50-man, the 40-man roster. So, and that was, those were much better teams than these, this, this Tigers team. So, who knows? Uh, and that's that's all I got for Erie. I don't know if you uh, had any any thoughts. I'm just really here's a question for you, Chris, about Jake Rogers in terms of how fast they're going to call him up. Because even 
there it, it just feels right now with some of the even uh, it was a uh, Kurt mentioned uh, posted this in the Detroit News about the bullpen and he talked about McCann's questionable. I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but we talked about his selection of pitches for some of the some of the pitches that have been out there, but. At some point, Chris, I mean, it, it, is it just going to be – I don't think he's going to get a call. I don't think he's going to get a call up for September. But that being said, is Rodgers ready to get at least a, a, a cup of coffee here in the spring, or does he need another year down there? Because he's 23. I mean, he's not exactly a spring chicken, but still, I don't know, Chris. Watch him, watch him at can the last couple of weeks and just – and then you hear it kind of like – Outside of just fans, there's. It seems like there's even like Ron Gardner. Just why he picked that selection, I don't know why he did that. And it just seems like there's like yeah. this underlying tension about James McCann. Yeah, I think I. Given the way that Rogers struggled struggled the first half of the season, I think bringing him up for a cup of coffee in Detroit would probably not be terribly beneficial. It might actually, you know, be good for his development. But I don't know if it'll be. You know, I think it would probably be kind of ugly. And and I part of me suspects, and we'll know. I think, and by the time we do our next show, I think no, maybe not. We could do a, a an Arizona Fall League preview for our next show. Sweet. Uh, but I th- I think he might head out to the AFL this year, just to get a couple. I mean, he's played plenty of games this year, but just to get a couple more games uh, in him, catch catch some more elite velocity. Some uh, you know, and face some more interesting pitchers just to get a couple more games in him, and then, then I would think next year he's going to go to Toledo, and he could get called up at any time. It it, it maybe he'll they'll give him a, ch- a chance to win the spot and win the win the win the starting spot in spring training. I do kind of wonder if they want to keep him with guys like Turnbull and Burroughs and Funkhauser and Fado all kind of together. So he's working with those guys who are all going to be probably in Toledo next year and then bring them all up at the same time. So they're working with a familiar catcher and he's working with familiar pitchers and stuff like that. I, I wonder if they might try to do that, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see the way they play it with Rogers because he's from, by all accounts, he's the best defensive catcher in the organization by a, a wide margin and one of the best in all of baseball. So if they just determine that, you know what, I'm tired of this crap with McCann, maybe they'll give him a shot. But I, I, I expect maybe sometime next year. Okay. I, I, I just thought that it was interesting the way that it's been, like, even thrown out there a little bit about McCann. So I just thought that it, it, mm-hmm. Jake Rogers would get a chance for, you know, to get the job at spring training. So let's go to Lakeland. Yeah, Lakeland's been playing really well in the second half. They're, they won tonight. Uh, 10 games over 500 in the second half, but they're still like four games back uh, with 12 games left, and they don't play the team that's ahead of them. I think it's Clearwater. So I think they are their playoff hopes are basically dashed. Because I think in the Florida State League, they only, only four teams get in, unlike uh, some other leagues where they have wild cards and stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, Casey Mize pitched. He's done for the year. He was uh, a little bit rough, but, you know, he got out there and pitched. That's all that really matters. Daniel Norris and Michael Fulmer were down there in Lakeland doing some rehab work, pitching pretty damn well. Uh, Matt Manning is still having outstanding results. It's, it's it's to the point where it really looks like he's too good 
for the Florida State League, which is which is nice. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're going to bump them up at this point with two starts left. But uh, it's been a damn good development year for him. He's got a, another huge development uh, developmental year next year. He's going to have to. That's when we're really going to start to need to, to see the change up, and going to start to need to see the the uh, the command come along a little bit. But it was interesting. I don't know. Uh, Baseball America back at the Futures game, they did all these interviews in the prospect pad, and and they, they released a bunch of them back then. And for some reason, there was another release this week, and one of them was Matt Manning, and they were talking to him, and he said. He was talking about his curveball and said it basically came to him in one start last year. I think last last year, maybe it was earlier this year, in the in the Midwest League. And then since then, it's been working for him. And it's one of those things where, like, you know, you never know with a pitcher. Maybe the changeup comes to him in in one game, and he started, feels comfortable with it and can start throwing it. I mean, you remember Michael Fulmer's, uh, when he first came up to the majors, he didn't throw changeups really in his first, I think, four starts. And then he worked on it, and he had an awesome one in his fifth start, I think it was, against the Rays. He struck out like 11 people. So sometimes these things can come quickly, but that's that's the thing to look for for Manning next year is that changeup and then the command. Uh, Anthony Castro, scouting ports on him are still really good. Sounds like nasty fastball with cut, really high spin rate curveball, reliever profile. Um, you know, interesting to see how, how soon they move him to the bullpen. Um, who else is done there? Soto. Soto is pitching. <laughs> he, you know, he had one of his best outings of the year. Two outings, uh, two, two, it wasn't a start. I think he came in after Fulmer, maybe. Uh, but he pitched seven innings, didn't walk anybody, which is, you know, a damn miracle with Soto. <laughs> and then his, in his uh, outing after that, it was just back to like, you know, three and two thirds innings with four hits and three walks and it's just not terribly efficient. And uh, I don't know, it's another guy that, Assume we'll see move to the bullpen sooner rather than later. But so the pitching is still interesting down there. That the hitters, not so much. They really, it's really the the land of former prospects and non-prospects and organizational types, like your Chad Setios and your Zach Shepherds and stuff. But uh, there are some people. You know, they they moved up Brock Dethridge and Cody Clemens, and Dethridge didn't miss a beat. Man, he was like seven for his first twenty with a couple extra base hits. Clemens struggled. I think he was zero for fifteen. But he did hit a bomb tonight, and I think he walked and had another hit. So maybe he's coming out of that. So, and it's it's pretty impressive. I, I don't know if you say impressive, but it's nice to see college picks get to to high A in their first season. It's really kind of up. It's not necessarily that they, you know, they aren't as talented as high A ball, but uh, you know they all they started out in rookie ball and then in Connecticut and West Michigan and now to high A. So it's nice to see the progression, probably their true talent level at this point. Especially block, uh, block, block, Brock Defridge is just, it surprised me a little bit. You were talking about his swing and a little bit about being too long, but it, it looks like his numbers and he's exceeding a little bit of expectations so far, a little bit. Now, I'm not going to go crazy about it. Well, yet, but. he's definitely exceeding my expectations for uh, you know 10th round pick. They saved a bunch of money on him. I still, I think we compared him at the last show. We compared him maybe to Cam Gibson as a, as a really kind of got a lot of good things going on, but the, ultimately the swing might keep him from from hitting enough to to be a player. But 
you know, maybe there's an out fourth outfielder profile there, which would be a damn good value for a 10th round pick. Uh, maybe there's more. Maybe they can fix something in a swing. I'm a little bit skeptical, given that the Tigers have never done that with anyone. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's better than struggling. I always say that, you know, it's a, the minor league stats don't mean a whole lot, but it's better when they're good. Um, Jose Azucar, Azucar, uh, test of water. Been, <laughs> he's been hitting the hell out of the ball, uh, in his own way. So it's like, he's hitting like 350 over the last 40 games or something like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's still the same Jose Azucar. I think he's got a 3% walk rate and an ISO under 0.080. So I don't know what you do with a guy like that. He's fast, can play center field, has a cannon in an arm. Puts the bat on the ball, but doesn't walk and <laughs> doesn't hit for power. It's it's a you're missing a couple key ingredients there. There's not enough flour in your shortbread. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's an actual saying or not. It just uh, popped in my head. And, and then Derek Hill is kind of the same story, although it's a little bit a little bit different and slightly more encouraging to me because he actually walks. He'll walk at like an eight or nine percent rate. He strikes out a lot, which is not great. But uh, he's had a pretty good August. I think he's got an OPS over 800, 700, something in August. Uh, he's another guy who doesn't hit for power. His ISO is basically the same as Azucar, but he adds to that elite, you know, near elite decent defense and near elite base running and speed. So he's got 35 steals this year. So maybe, maybe just maybe, it's only a month. Maybe he's starting to figure some things out. Maybe it's just uh, luck. I, don't know. I mean, I, I think the, sh- the shine has come off. Uh, Derek Hill quite a bit, but we'll see. We'll see if they add him to the 40-man. Um, but again, yeah, just not a ton of interesting position prospects in, in Lakeland or in West Michigan, for that matter, unfortunately. They uh, they won tonight. Nice uh, walk-off win on a sack fly from Jordan Pierce, I think, to uh, get them back to 500. But even with that, they're 500 on the season. They came into the night only a half game out of the wild card spot. And the two teams they were behind are playing each other tonight. So I think it's Fort Wayne and Great Lakes. And luckily for Michigan, they have 11 games left. And they have four of them with Great Lakes and three against Fort Wayne. So they have a chance to to go out there and win this thing. (laughs) Again, I, I don't necessarily see it happening with the way that their roster is shaped up right now. It's uh, the biggest story there is, is the promotion of Winsel Perez, or Perez, I guess is the way they're pronouncing it. Um, he came up and went what, four for four in his debut with West, West Michigan. He's 18 years old, and he's the fifth youngest player in the Midwest League behind like four Padres prospects because the Padres are insane. Um, and and he's younger than Gorman, who I mentioned earlier, or older than Gorman, I believe. Um, but and, and I've had a chance to watch. Perez uh, a couple times and uh, he can hit man you watch him and you, you can tell he can hit it's uh, he gets the barrel on the ball pretty easily but I do worry that it's that same sort of Azokar Dowell Lugo uh, you know contact is so easy that he refuses to walk and he'll take some walks but I, you know, I watched him get himself out basically just by putting a ball in play that he had no business putting in play but doing that, I got to see him run to first, and it was basically 4, 4.0 down the line from the left side, which is plus speed. I, it's, it's interesting, though, because he doesn't look, when you watch him, 
he doesn't look like super athletic. It's sort of like it's not a quick first step. So maybe he, he's quick underway, fast underway, but it's not that sort of elite athleticism, which makes me wonder if uh, if he fills out. And I think he will. He, he seems to have the frame to, to add a little bit more weight and probably get a little bit more power out of uh, out of him. Not a, not a ton right there there right now. I do wonder if he might lose the ability to to play shortstop, maybe a second baseman long term. It's way too early to tell, and definitely want to keep him at shortstop for now. He's he's got pretty amazing hand eye coordination, and he's got a lot of good things going for him. He's got an above average arm too. So, just uh, I don't know. You know we tend to to hype up prospects too much once they are actually doing interesting stuff at a young age. But there's still a long way to go, and, and he's got a lot of physical growing to do. So I, I just, I'm, all I'm saying is I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up as a second baseman down the line. Uh, but I obviously want to get a closer look at him, and I think we're going to this weekend. Yeah, so that should be fun. That should be fun, and I, and and it's good to see though, Chris, the kind of the teenage uh, prospects come around for the Tigers because the Tigers really haven't had too many. You look at Paredes and Erie, and Perez. They haven't really had anybody under twenty that's kind of jumped out to you in a while. Yeah, yeah, the, it's uh, part of the process of of rebuilding, I guess. Is you, go, you have some of these interesting young guys, but they still, you know, they got a long way to go. A lot, like I mentioned, all those Padres players. A lot of other teams have players like this. They, we just don't know about them, you know, because right. we, we'll even the the big prospect fans among us we know about like the top one hundred prospects and some other interesting guys, but they're. I was looking the other day. I think there's a, a kid from the Indians. Is it Tyler Freeman? Uh, let me look him up real quick. Uh, Tyler Freeman. Playing, he's in the Indian system. Shortstop for them. He's 19. He's in the uh, New York Pin League, which is where Perez was. But he's 19, and he's hitting 373 with uh, in 61 games with 11 steals and some extra base power and, and he has a 983 OPS as a 19 year old in the New York Penn League so it's just like if that kid were in the Tigers organization we'd be really excited about him and I think just uh, players like that are in almost every organization and so I think uh, Tigers fans we want to get to that point where we have the five or six guys there they're at one level who are all interesting like the way the, the Padres have yeah, the Padres. So, there's but, still ways to go. Th- no, you're right. There it is ways to but go. It's better than nothing. No, well, exactly. That was just gonna say. <laughs> um, but you know, here's the, you were talking about the Indians earlier too. I mean, here's a guy like Greg Allen. Is it Greg Allen that center fielder? Yeah, center fielder, mm-hmm. who's been able to come up and and kind of been a difference maker and just kind of you know I don't want to say he came out of nowhere because it's not that's not the, the case, but. The Indians have struggled with a, a center fielder on a regular basis that has been able to be effective, but in terms, it's because they've had injuries to Brantley, and, then, and that's why they made the trade for it. But Greg Allen's done a pretty good job filling in, and this is a guy who he, he came up in, in terms of high prospect rankings. It, it was it was it was Allen top ten, right? Uh you know he may have been. I, I don't. I always knew his name. Uh, I but I kind of confused him sometimes with Quentin Holmes, who I think they drafted as another super fast guy. Yeah, I know he was organization all star, and 
I think that was that's the only thing I could remember about him. But it was just it was one of those guys that he was able to plug in and come in and do a pretty effective job, and has done an effective job, I should say. Yeah, no, it's a. Uh... That's one of the things that, you know, we, we pay all this attention to the Tigers minor leagues in this show because that's what we do. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's sometimes you, you don't realize that every other organization has players that are just as interesting. Yeah. So, and so few work out. But, whatever, we can't keep track of all six billion minor leaguers. There's we so many. Try, yeah. But then the show would be four hours long. Yeah. We would have to, we would have to do like after school specials and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, uh, so the uh, the the only other stuff with the, the Whitecaps, uh, their their offense right now is basically Brady Polacelli and Dylan Rosa. But a, there was apparently a really scary moment tonight where Polacelli took a ball to the neck and had to get carried off in a stretcher, which is like the second time that's happened in the last week. Elvin Rodriguez, who's been one of their best starters, took a took a liner I think off the leg and had to come out of the game on a stretcher or on the cart. Uh, so that's no good. Uh, Wilfo Hernandez, my guy. I'm going to go ahead and declare him my guy. Had a really good start. I think the same night that Perez had his four for four game. It was a six innings, two hits, three walks, six strikeouts. Guy, I'm really, really intrigued to see how he goes forward. But beyond that, it's yeah, it's not a whole lot of excitement there in West Michigan. Um, and Connecticut has just got awful. They just can't score or hit the ball. I think they have like six guys who are hitting under 200 or under 250. Uh, Parker Meadows got promoted up there, which was exciting, but I think he must have gotten injured. I think he came out in like a second game and hasn't played since. So, hooray for that. And, and Perez is gone. The only you – know, Carlos Guzman is remains one of the better stories in the system too. And I, What was it? His last start it was six no-hit innings, I think. Yeah, he pitched, yeah, six innings, one one walk, and three strikeouts. And no hits, yeah. And yeah. this is – we talk about it, you know, this is a converted shortstop. Got a really good changeup. A good fastball, good feel for the breaking ball, could be a very, very interesting prospect in next year and, and going forward. So, he's, he's, and then just, oh, go ahead. I was going to say he's faring better. He's, is it safe to say he is uh, faring? It looks like, uh, I was going to say, he looks like he's faring better in the transition phase than uh, Perez is. Evans and per- Perez. Which one? Uh, the former catcher, Perez. Oh, Arvison Perez. Yeah. yeah, that's just kind of a. I don't know what that's all about because it's uh, Perez is like five foot nine, like two hundred fifteen pounds or something like that. He's got three pitches and he can like reach the low nineties, I think. But it's not like it's not. He's not a prospect, but it it must be kind of funny to see him pitch a catcher pitching like that. Um, yeah, that this Guzman one is is seems legit. Uh, and then just to wrap it up, the, the Gulf Coast League, the the Tigers West, I think they basically have wrapped up their division, so they'll be in the playoffs. And I don't remember; it's, it's hard to keep track of which who's who's on which uh, team. But I did one thing I stumbled across. You know, I checked the box scores, and I was always seeing that Kingston Liniac. He seemed like he was always getting outfield assists. And I looked, and he's got eight of them in uh, I don't know thirty, forty games. Which seemed like kind of a lot to me. So, you know, he's he's had some strikeout troubles. This is their fourth round pick this year. Let's see how many games. Forty two games. Thirty yeah, forty two games. And he's got eight outfield assists. So you know, maybe uh I think I think of the two, you know, he and Parker Meadows, the two center fielders they drafted in the top five rounds. 
he's he seems the one that's more likely to be kind of a defense-oriented defense oriented, uh, specialist, and uh, maybe he's got a good arm, too. I don't remember hearing about his good arm, but those assists, they're piling up, like John Stockton. Or Bobby Higginson. <laughs> Bobby Higginson. Craig Monroe. Oh, man. I think he, Monroe have three assists in one game once. I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, that's it for the minors. For that's all I have. I don't know if you have anything you want to talk about. Uh, no, I think we, I think we've covered the gauntlet there, especially with. Um, I was going to ask you a question about Carlos Guzman, but you pretty much answered it for me. So, uh, I'm encouraged. I'm like I said, I'm encouraged about some of the guys in Connecticut. But yeah, the off Eric De La Rosa has struggled uh, so far over there. So they're off. You're right. The offense has not been too good. So, um, but really, on on that note, the Tigers. By the time we do this podcast for next week, be just around the time the 40-man roster will be announced or some names will come down the pipeline. So hopefully we'll get some more information as that comes out, and uh, we'll probably discuss that a little bit. Uh, as far as the schedule is concerned with the Tigers, you know they have the Royals and White Sox coming up quite a bit. So uh, Victor Martinez did announce his retirement, so that that's going to happen. And that was really about it. I think we, I think we covered everything tonight, and so... On that note, thank you for listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. And don't forget to check us out on our new iTunes feed. If you have not subscribed, it's been I'm going to put those on every link until the end of the year, essentially. And you can find you us. Should, at, you should. Yes. And uh, you can find us on Google Play Store and Spotify. So just click for look for SRD uh, Productions or just Tigers SRD. And you'll be able to find it on Google Play or iTunes or Spotify. Or a favorite app of the world, Podbeam. You can listen to us on there. Follow Chris at Chris Brown0914. And follow me at Rajcast81. And uh, besides I'm that. I'm on Mastodon. <laughs> I'm on Mastodon now. I well, don't know how to use it. But if you're on Mastodon, if you're familiar with it, uh, I'll probably start posting what I post on Twitter on Mastodon too. Wait, wait, Chris. For I, wait, for here. Okay. What is Mastodon? Because I, it's, it's not the band. Mastodon is. Basically, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, except they are very explicit about not allowing assholes. Really? Uh, yes. So they're like, you know, no Nazis, no, none, none of that shit. Um, and, and instead of tweets, they're toots. Um, but it's, it's a little bit different in that I'm still, like I said, I'm still learning how to, to use it. But instead of one giant main server or whatever you kind of tap into local servers but you can still communicate with everybody on other servers i don't know it's it's it seems like a possibly viable alternative to twitter which people people want it to be more like early twitter which the whatever lo- the local looks like evernote uh, you ever use evernote before? yeah yeah there was I mean, that was an elephant too wasn't it yeah it's, yeah so but apparently that so many people signed up for it that they can't take new people now unless they're invited so i don't know why i told you <laughs> but i don't know maybe uh maybe that'll be the wave of the future mastodon no i like i like that logo a lot it's uh, i'm looking at it right now and let me see if i can as we are doing the show yeah. i want to see if i can be able to sign up for it because it looks like you let me see during my there probably will be a waiting list of sorts but uh let's see I, when you said it, I'm like the band. Wait, I know you're a Mastodon fan. Uh, oh, <laughs> like, no. there's a there's a there's a heavy metal band that my uh, my brother's 
big, big fan of called Mastodon, and uh, they're they're a pretty good band. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay, so I can. It looks apparently I can sign up for this, Chris. All right. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Like I, like I said, I need to figure out because I, I've gone in there and like looked for ESPN and there wasn't one. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Maybe I'm really on the ground floor here. I don't know. I look for like the hashtag tigers. Nothing except maybe some real tigers. So maybe I'm <laughs> on the wrong spot. But how'd you find out about it, by the way? If somebody I follow on Twitter said that, hey, I'm on this too, uh, in case you hate Twitter. And I was like, huh, I'll check it out. So it's one of those, yeah, a lot of people are upset with the amount of Nazis on Twitter, which uh, seems like a, a decent thing to be upset about. And I guess Mastodon's very, very, uh, they're very quick to suspend and block people who are you know, mean and offensive and racist, which is uh, what a lot of people want. They don't, they don't want to be around racists if they don't have to be. Or trolls, essentially. Yeah, racists and trolls. I think that's uh, basically the, uh, the way to go, which is, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, not to derail the closing segment. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, so find Chris on Mastodon, and sooner or later you'll probably... Same, yeah, same. Chris Brown, 0914, so... Yeah, I just created... As soon as I confirm my email account, I'll be I'll be on there as well. Thank you, Chris. I did not... I did not know... That I, it just sounds... It sounds just... I don't know. I'm, I'm going to check this out before... Once I get done with the uh, editing process of this, but... Uh, yeah, I'll be on there as well, and you know what, Chris? We'll be pioneers on Mastodon. <laughs> yeah. The masters of Mastodon. (laughs) The Mastodonians. The Mastodonians. There we go. The original uh, Mastodonians. So on that note, we'll be back next week, uh, probably Thursday or Friday on the release date. And uh, like I said, check us out on Twitter. Or excuse me, check us out on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and Podbeam. And those links will be on our post for this evening. And uh, hopefully we'll get some questions this week. I was kind of bummed we didn't get any this week. Well, uh, we... Perry, old, old oh yeah, Bad Hop Radio partner Perry should be on next week. So if anybody has any baseball or movie questions, yeah, we gotta ask uh, him. About, we gotta ask him about summer blockbuster, se- uh, summer movie season because it seems like this was kind of a dead one. I'm gonna go see that um, uh, that new. Speaking of Nazis, I'm gonna see that uh, I'm gonna check out that movie this. Uh, I think next week the the one with um, Sir Ben Kinsley and Oscar. Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I yeah, I do, but I forgot the name of it. Yeah, no, we could. Uh, and I was I I just had lunch with Perry today, and we talked about a lot of movies. He, he had uh, had someone had challenged him to come up with his best 25 movies of the the decade, and so we were talking about that. And, uh, and I prepared him to I told him to prepare a good, bad, and ugly, and inside the numbers film version. So sweet. It'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Oh, by the way, there's 500 characters you can create on this thing. Sweet. That's right. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, go on Mastodon. Join us. Until then, see ya. This has been an SRD production.